Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. July 4th, 1939, the Iron Horse of Baseball, Lou Gehrig, came to the plate for his last public appearance. He stepped, to the, he stepped to the host of microphones and he began his speech, his voice echoing through the entire park. And he says this, Fans, for the past two weeks you have been reading about a bad break I got. Yet today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I have been in ballparks for 17 years and have never received anything but kindness and encouragement from you fans. Look at these grand men. Which of you wouldn't consider it a highlight of his career to associate with one of them for even one day? Sure, I'm lucky. Who wouldn't consider it an honor to have known Jacob Rupert, also the builder of baseball's greatest empire, Ed Barrow, to have spent the next nine years with the wonderful little fella, Miller Huggins, than to have spent the next nine years with that outstanding leader, that smart student of psychology, the best manager in baseball today, Joe McCarthy. Sure, I'm lucky. When the New York Giants, a team you would have given your right arm to beat and vice versa, send you a gift, that's something. When everybody down at groundskeepers, at down the groundskeepers and those boys in the white coats remember you with trophies, that's something. When you have a wonderful mother-in-law who takes your side when you squabble against her own daughter, that's something. When you have a father and a mother who work all their lives so that you can have an education and build your body, it's a blessing. When you have a wife who has been a tower of strength and shown more courage than you dreamed existed, that's the finest I know. So I close in saying that I might have had a tough break, but I have an awful lot to live for. This was two weeks after finding out that he would that he, would, uh, he had the disease that would then later on bear his name, Lou Gehrig's disease. When you begin to think about great speeches and people who deliver these great, powerful speeches, you can never take the speech and remove it from the speaker. You can't take the message out of the messenger. They're, they're together. They're one. That's how they operate. We love, we are big on great speeches. I don't know if you paid attention to this last um, State of the Union. And they begin to take this State of the Union and break it down and compare it to previous ones. They begin to talk about how many times so-and-so used the word America, how many times so-and-so, you know, had some sort of grammatical mistake, some sort of grammar error, or he started a sentence and he didn't finish it in phrases and they just break this thing down. But nobody really cares about that. Nobody really cares about the grammar of it. What you care about is those ones who show up on your front step and you hear, you hear lines like this. I have been to the mountaintop and I have seen the promised land. Do you care about the grammar of that or do you just see the picture? Do you just see the face? No, you can't pull those things apart. The message is the messenger. It's interesting, the word that Jesus is referred to over and over in the book of John 
In the beginning was the word. The word is this Greek word called logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Is if he is the speech. If God had a billboard, it would be Jesus. And if he wanted to get your attention and tell you something important, he would post it right there on your road. Jesus was the word. We can't take these things away. Let me read you a couple of lines that I'm sure you'll recognize. Ask not what your country can do for you. Go ahead. Right on. Ronald Reagan, maybe this one's a little more obscure. Ronald Reagan, speaking to a, a group of UCLA uh, protesters, made this comment once. It's a little risque. I apologize. Kind of. Make love, not war, huh? Reagan says to them. By the looks of you, you don't look like you could do much of either. <laughs> well done, Mr. Reagan. Based on what I'm seeing, you're not good at either. We can't separate these speeches from these people. We love the eloquence of great speeches. We love the witty refrains. We love those emotional hooks. I have a drink. And we just buy in. We just buy in. I, I, I started reading this book a long time ago, and I just kind of read it from time to time. It's called uh, White House Ghosts. And what it is, is it's about the speechwriters, the presidential speechwriters, and all of the things that they do and how they manipulate the crowd everywhere. And it talks about people going so far as to take a previous speech and sit down and find synonyms for like almost every word in it and rewrite that speech in just a little bit different so that emotionally it hooks the same way. Also, where they place the first lady and who sits beside her. At one point, somebody placed their mother-in-law right beside his wife and that was important and he recognized her. Later on, in another, in another state of the union, the very same thing happened. He took his mother-in-law. Why? Because Hoover did it, so we're going to do it. Or because whoever did it, this is why we're doing it. And so they put them right there. It's just pure manipulation. You cannot pull these things apart. The message is the messenger. I will give you an example on what happens if the message and the messenger are not the same. I will give you a list of names. I will not give you any emotions or any words before that you should think about or conclusions you should come to. Let me just give you the names, and then you can fill me in, okay? Barry Bonds. Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Lance Armstrong. Anything you want to tell me? Oh, wow, wow, calm down. Going to riot over this? He's a cheater. He's a fraud. We don't like it. We don't like it. The minute the message and the messenger don't stack up, one goes off the rails the other direction. No, I am this guy. And then come to find out he's not that guy. See the same thing with politicians. See the same thing with preachers. That's a slippery slope. One I think about often. Listen, let me just go ahead and break it to you now. Don't follow so close behind me, okay? I don't know if you need to be told that. I'm sure you're smart enough to figure that out already. Don't trail me so close, all right? 
Listen, do you know why I think God put me in ministry? Because he, I needed 200 people to hold me accountable. That's what I think. <laughs> I'll be a better Christian. I think this is the way the conversation goes. How's this one going to do? Um, if we make him a minister, at least he'll have somebody babysitting him. You know. <laughs> well, put him in Allen County. That'd be... <laughs> if he doesn't do well, we'll at least take him down to the river and rough him up, you know? So I think that's how that goes. The minute that the message and the messenger begin to have a separate, separate idea or a separate life and the two are not joined together anymore, we go off the rails. But here's what's crazy is we're kind of addicted to it too. We love to watch somebody fall apart. We love it. Listen, any MTV reality show that you can possibly watch is about that. Any, almost any reality show that you watch is about that. Why are we watching this? Because it's all going to fall apart soon. <laughs> this is why. This is going to be awesome. It's all going to fall apart. Just keep watching. That's why we love it. That's why we love it. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he writes this letter, and he's defending his ministry because there's this group, this group called, uh, they call themselves the Super Apostles, which is, isn't that just, I know he's an apostle, but like, I'm a super apostle. Oh, a super apostle? Like, that's a real thing, you weirdo? That's so weird. So calls, these guys are calling themselves super apostles. And then they begin to talk bad about the apostle Paul. And what they say about the apostle Paul is this. He writes these weighty letters. Oh, and they're heavy and they're forceful and they're pushy. But then when he shows up, there's really not much to him. Hmm. You write me a letter like that, I'm coming over. You write me a letter, like, I'm going to knock on your front door. You want to tussle? You want to go outside? The, the Apostle Paul is in this place of like, what? Like, that's the concern? They said his words and his speaking really doesn't amount to much. Billy Graham just passed. I think of Billy Graham as one of the greatest evangelists ever. And he doesn't hold a candle to the Apostle Paul. Listen, here we are, some 2,000 years later, still reading the Apostle Paul's words. And we're not the only ones. There's several groups just like this in this town doing the same thing today. The Kansas, United States, across the world. This guy is so big. as ah, not much to him. He's just, uh, whatever, just a flash just a flash. He'll, it's just a trend. He'll, he'll pass. He'll pass. The Apostle Paul writes back to this group and addresses these, can we call them haters? These haters. Addresses these haters. And what he says to them is this. When I came to you, I came with a gentle spirit. I didn't take my needs and put them on you and require you to financially support me so that I could continue to travel around the world and share the gospel. In fact, what I did is I had some other people who were taking care of me so that I could serve you. I didn't, there's no part of me that was trying to come in and take from you. Then he says this, if you got it, 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is, so, this is so cool. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's what he writes. I'm sorry, let's go to, uh, I'm sorry, let's go to chapter 11. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 21, uh, second part of 21. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He gives his own little, I'm out of my mind for saying this. But I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which is basically the death sentence without going the full length of it. Beat you within an inch of your life. This is what that means. He says five times. Uh, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was stoned, shipper. That means with like rocks. <laughs> just, to be, just to be clear. Um, I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent, an, I, after all that, I think I would choose to be stoned, you know? Like the other stoned. Like I think like that much goes on in yeah, I'm stoned. I'm getting stoned. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers, uh, from <laughs> in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, from the Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep, and I have known hunger and thirst, and I have... Um, and I have often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not burn inwardly? Do you see what he just did right here? This is how the Apostle Paul is going to defend his ministry. I'm weak. If I'm the Apostle Paul, here's what I'm saying. I have enough spiritual gifts. I'm going to ask God to give me lightning bolts and I'm going to burn you up. I'm going to pray God like smite you and he might answer, you know? If I'm the apostle Paul and I'm going to get ridiculed like that, I'm going to stand up and say, are you serious? Are you kidding me right now? Look at all the churches I've planted. What have you done? But he doesn't. What's he do? He reaches for his bag of weakness. You want to talk about burning inwardly? Paul says, I was lonely. This goes on down. Verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Who would like to go first? To boast about your weakness. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Oh, nobody? It's because this isn't where we live. We don't live in a place that says, I'd like to uh, go ahead and tell you where I'm at and what's going on in my life. My weaknesses, my internal, my internal um, uh, craziness. I just took a personality test the other day. I was thinking, oh, apparently I have one. The concerning part was I may have a couple. And so the, <laughs> as, I went through this, as I went through this thing, it was really cool. One of the things that it measured, I didn't know this at the time, I took it, neuroticism. It measures neuroticism 
neuroticism on this thing, and I was like, I don't want to read it. And so I'm telling my wife, I was like, hey, I want you to see this. It's really cool. This doctor who did it is like he's a top-notch guy. It's a really professional test. So I bring my wife up. Hey, I want to show you this. Start going through it. Let, like I'm all over the map. And it says like, if you're this, you're this. Then typically you're this. I wasn't. If you're this and that. Like it was, just, it, was, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. It was insightful. My weakness? Take my weakness and put it out in front of everybody else and use that as my defense? Here's my defense. Here's my defense for my message. If you ever get this twisted, it's your fault. Here's my defense. I love the Lord, and I will do my best to follow him. But I promise you, if you put any sort of faith in me, I will most definitely let you down. I will most definitely let you down. The Apostle Paul goes back to defend his ministry by saying, I'm hard-headed. Look at this next part. Verse 31. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under, the, under King Artis had the city of the Damascusines guarded in order to arrest me. Check this out. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in a wall and slipped through his hands. Somebody was trying to get me, and I jumped in a basket and got lowered out a window. I... We're looking at cowardice? It was he thinking in his mind, I must preserve myself so that I can continue to plant churches? Or is this pure survival? Someone's trying to kill me? I'm bailing out a window in a basket. How big a man is this? Is this like one of those big longer burger baskets? Is that what we're talking about? Here he goes, out a window. He relies on all of his, takes all of his weakness and puts it all up front. Why would you do that? Why would you want to take your weaknesses and live from your weaknesses? Apostle Paul would later on explain this. I will boast in my weaknesses because when I am weak, he comes in to the void that is in my life and makes me strong. You know what we do? You know what guidance counselors oftentimes will tell their students? What therapists will tell clients? You know what? Focus on your strengths. Just focus on your strengths. That's what you need to do. You need to spend more time focusing on your strengths. I don't know about you, but that's a short list too sometimes. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes what I find is that my strengths and weaknesses are typically pretty closely related. If I take my strengths and I run in excess and focus on my strengths, you know where I'm going? To the toilet. That's where my life's going. Because it's, I can't. If I overdo what I do, I only get worse. The Apostle Paul gives us this beautiful therapeutic answer. Here's what it is right here. You need to spend more time taking your weaknesses, focusing on how they are, what they do, putting them before Christ, and, ex and waiting on Him to come into your life and strengthen you from those areas. Here's why. Because the world is looking on the outside, and if they look in on your life, the disaster that you are. Can we agree that all of us are a disaster on some level? Can we agree? Well, even if you don't agree, I will go ahead and tell you. You are a disaster on some level, okay? Whether you are aware of it or not, 
And then other people look into our life and they see these amazing things that we're doing and like, how does that happen? How in the world does that happen? How can somebody look in and go, that, now that's Jared, right? And he's doing that, right? Yeah, that's God. That's, that's got nothing to do with him. Nothing. It's got nothing to do with him. It's got everything to do with God. So if we take our weaknesses and we lay them out in front and say, here's where I am. Here's where I am. This is what I am. We focus on those. God comes in and fixes those deals. You know what does not work in the Christian walk? Pride. It doesn't work. It runs completely counter to every single thing that Jesus did. So the Apostle Paul comes along and he writes this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17 and 18. This is his first letter to the Corinthians before things got all worked up. Um, now, if you want an interesting read, if you want to know, you want a little encouragement about where you are in your life, just read through 1 Corinthians, would you? Just give it a read. See how you compare. There's some stuff going on in the Corinthian church. Listen, in the Corinthian church, that like you're going to feel better about yourself this afternoon after you read it. Like, at least I'm not that guy, you know? That's, you'll see it. It's, it's beautiful. The Apostle Paul writes, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, so there's this, there's this thing that happens every, every spring, kind of summer. Everybody gets their grills, and they drag them out on the front concrete pad, and they fire them up, and you can smell it. You can smell it through town. You can drive through town. You, I can smell someone's barbecue, and I hope, I hope they call me. I'd like to go over there. That sounds, smells so nice. And then if, if you were standing there nearby, there's always this guy who does this, and I don't know why he does it. If you're that guy, you need to go to church somewhere else. There's no need for that here, okay? Let me, let me explain, okay? There's this guy, and he's doing this thing, and he's got all this food out there, and it's like an altar, right? Like an Old Testament altar. The sacrifice is already on there, and it's so beautiful. It's beside the asparagus, and there's kebabs with little steak pieces and little shrimps on there. It's so good. Little potatoes over there and a little aluminum thing. It smells so good. And then here's what this guy does. These big, juicy burgers are on there, and he takes his spatula, and he puts it on top of it, and he goes... <laughs> That's a guy I want to push down. <laughs> what are you doing? Fellow, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? Don't do that. You just emptied the burger of everything great. It smells great. It still smells great, but we're going to get in there in a minute. And I'm going to put ketchup, and I'm going to put a little bit of mayo, and I'm going to put some lettuce and tomato in, and a little bit of cheese, and I'm going to bite into that. And it's going to be a briquette, and that's a bad move. You know? That's a bad move. Don't mash it like that. Go somewhere else if you're going to mash burgers on a grill. That's just ridiculous and what the apostle paul says is this i'm not going to use human wisdom to preach to you about what's going on in the spiritual world i'm going to let god use something different speak to us in a different way and he focuses in on one point the reason why is he said because if i use human words to try to express to you the love of christ it will be emptied of its power it will be mashed down on the grill burnt up and useless 
will not be tasteful and nobody will want it. We can stand around and talk about Jesus all day long. The news does it. We talk about religion and we just, we just take it all and we put it into one little bucket. Well, you know how the right is or you know how the religious conservatives are. You know what it's like with those people. You know, those duck dynasty types, those kind. And so what we do is we just, they gather them all up and they put them in one bucket and they say, it's basically religion as a whole. The Apostle Paul says this, Jesus really isn't religion. I mean, resurrection from the dead is kind of a different thing than religion. And then he focuses on this one point. Do you realize this, that when they were looking, and I don't know how you would say this, but when the first church began to say, how are we going to brand our church? When it was the first church of, you know, Jerusalem or first church of Damascus? I don't know that they had signs, but if they were, they had a lot of options they could have chosen on how they were going to show this is where we are. We chose a crest. If you look at it, here's our crest. What we're preaching on today is the cross that is in the middle of the crest. We chose the cross. They could have chosen a manger, right? On how Jesus showed up, vulnerable, to say he loves you. The church could have focused on a manger. They could have focused on a tomb, an empty tomb. That would be a good one too. He was once in there, now he's not. You want to go to church with us? You know, be awesome like this is. They didn't choose that. They chose the death instrument. They chose the death instrument. Not even a monument. Not some granite thing that you go down there and then they sandblast some name and date on it. No, no, no. They used the electric chair. What kind of sign is that? What church do you go to? The one with the electric chair and the syringes on the outside? What kind of weirdo? You know, the one with the machine gun? What? The one with the death instrument. They chose that. Why? Because it's brilliant. This is what Paul is saying. And I tell you all that to start the sermon now to tell you this. The brilliance of the cross is that it does not make sense if you don't understand Jesus. If you are not with Jesus, you can't understand the cross. You can't. You stand on the outside and you look at it and you go, that doesn't make any sense. The Apostle Paul started by taking his weakness and defending his ministry based on his weakness. Where did he get that from? Maybe he got it from the fact that when Jesus Christ came here to show us how he loves us, he could have been a tyrant, you know? He could have came in, kicked the door open and said, now everybody's going to bow down or this is going to get ugly. Okay, okay, okay. Just mowing people down. Didn't. Didn't do it. He took his life and he laid it down for other people. He showed his weakness. The cross is a picture of weakness. Look at this. Let me, let me read you this line from, from John Stott. It's a beautiful, beautiful line from John Stott. I could never myself. Do you know who John Stott is? Anybody familiar with the name? Biblical scholar. Brilliant, brilliant guy. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I turned to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross 
nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He set aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. That is a God. That is a God. Not one who stays up on a high mountain far away saying, well, just survive, just survive. Easy for you to say, God. Have you been here? Have you done this? Yes, I have. In fact, I took the worst of it. I took the worst of it. John Stott says, that is a God that can be worshipped. So this comes home for us right here. Does your message match you? The message of the cross, if you claim it for salvation, does it match your life? Now listen, here's what you already know. Weakness is the call, right? Weakness is the call. So if you can say, yes, I am weak and I need Christ in my life so that I can move forward, then you can say, the message maps my life. The message marks me. I am no different. We cannot be divided. I hold to the cross because that is my only hope in all of this. It's my only hope. But if your pride stands in the way of all of that, then your message doesn't match. Your message doesn't work. There's an outside world who's wanting to look in on your life and pick it apart. They're looking for answers. They're looking for some kind of answer. And here's oftentimes what we give them. You know, you should go to church with me because like I'm, like, I'm really doing good in my life. You should go to church with me. You know, you could just get over this if you had a little bit of Jesus in your life. You should come with me. Like, you know, you shouldn't do that because when you do this, it means this and this. And we do this thing to where we project this awesomeness. Like, that's really what we are? You mean to tell me when we lay our head on our pillow at night, that's what just rolls around in your head? I am awesome. That's not what rolls around in my head. Here's what rolls around in my head. I'm not awesome. But that's what we project. This untouchable, follow me, I know the way sort of attitude. And so the call for us, the question for us is this. Do you and your message match? Does your weakness flow out of you easily? Does it come out with this? Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is my only hope. I'm doing my best to serve him. He's my only hope. And if you're doing your best to serve him, then what does your life look like? It's measurable, don't you know? It's measurable. Do you read your scripture? Are you generous? Do you care about the people around you? Let me ask you another one. Do you have joy? Is there joy in your life? Are you gentle with your words? Are you patient? It's measurable. Does the message and the messenger match? It's measurable. Listen, I can't answer that for you. I can answer it for me. And honestly, there's days, eh, not so much. 
That's the goal. If we're going to say, I rely on the cross, and this is what our life looks like.